0: Survivor: The Sound of Strong Communities My name is Paul Reismandel Hello everybody, Eric Klein here It's so good to be here And I'm joined on the line We are joined on the line By other radio survivors
1: Welcome Jennifer Waits All the way from San Francisco, California Via Skype
2: Hello, good morning
1: And Matthew Lassar From another place in San Francisco Via Skype Greetings, hello We've
2: gotten the band back
1: together The radio <laughs> survivor band is back together well, we've completed a year. I think we've all made it through. Uh, oh my God! What a, what a hell of a year it was! I could use other words, but then, but then uh, the FCC would be unhappy with us and our affiliate stations. there's um, a little bit of background for anyone who has uh, not been listening to Radio Survivor for all 122 episodes. The four of us are the co-founder of radiosurvivor.com. We conceived of it as a news site about radio celebrating radio. And the reason we felt like there was a need to celebrate radio is because so much of the time, people take radio for granted or treat radio as if it's a dying medium and almost want, ready to dance on its grave. But in particular, we wanted to celebrate independent radio, community radio. And, and over that time, it's we've sort of grown our prospectus, obviously college radio is something very important to us we embrace podcasting and the many opportunities to do community style broadcasting with podcasting radio on the internet and all its forms obviously radio and the internet um we embrace part 15 legal ultra low power broadcasting as we talked about just a couple episodes ago And, and we've started even to talk about public access television because what we're really concerned about is independent communication and the ability to serve communities with free flow of information and communication. That's why we're here. And we started this show in 2015. So we've been at this more than two years. And I, I think my big year interview is this is the year when we took a podcast and turned it into a real radio show. We are now on the air. Uh, we started off with our uh, home station here in Portland, Oregon, where Eric and I live, at X Ray FM, a great community radio station. Thanks, X Ray. At 91.1 FM and 107.1 FM in the Portland, Oregon area. And we added affiliates uh, beginning this past October and November. And it's, it's wonderful to begin to bring the gospel of community radio to people who listen to community radio because I think it's very important for. Folks who listen to community radio actually understand a little bit about it. For a lot of folks, I think it's simply just the cool station on their dial, or sometimes it's just that's the station where I go for African music, or it's the station where I go for democracy now, and you don't always understand how it's different from public radio or different from other stations in the dial. I hope that we can help kind of bring some of that understanding and understanding of the... uh, factors and it's 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 that specialness,
0: in. it's snow it's snow flakiness, it's snow that, flakiness. That <laughs> each, each each community radio station that we have the opportunity to hear in our town even if there's two or three but oftentimes uh one or less um is a special snowflake it exists uh it's rare it's not a given you know the fact that it's on the radio today does not mean that it'll be uh, a radio surviving tomorrow but it uh, it doesn't have to be that way if everyone's sort of aware of the, of the specialness of these radio stations or uh, Internet audio opportunities. It doesn't we don't only talk about radio in this way. We, we like to cast the broadest of all uh, nets around the media that we love. But regardless of how you're hearing these shows, the, the fact that they exist is still um, it needs to be talked about.
1: Yeah, it needs to be supported and celebrated. Uh, Jennifer, your beat is college radio. That's what you sort of joined uh, Radio Survivor to help support and to trumpet, I think. And college radio, not only does it continue to survive, I think we'd all argue it's thriving here in uh, 2017. Is there a big story or is there a big overarching theme for 2017 when you think about college radio?
2: Uh, you know, every every year you ask me that. Like, <laughs> is there a big story? Is there a big theme? Like, was there one big thing from this conference? And it's always for me, college radio is always sort of a combination of of stories. I do remain very optimistic. Twenty seventeen is a year when I think. Um, We're in this audio moment in our culture, and I've seen a continued interest by college age students in college radio every year. But I think with this energy in 2017 surrounding podcasting, surrounding uh, smart speakers, all of these audio moments, I think, are coalescing to make students even more excited about doing audio. And it's a time when people are. Maybe people who had been erroneously talking about the death of radio might be seeing, oh, radio is kind of like this podcasting stuff that's going on. Or, you know, now that I have a smart speaker, I'm, I'm thinking more about my audio world. So I think it's a very exciting time for college radio. We've all been talking about low power FM for a few years now and and, and more and more of those stations are getting on the air, including college radio stations. So I, I think it's just a great moment for college radio. And and of course, as in any year, there are some stories that maybe get the most attention that might be sort of dramatic or negative. And, and I try not to focus on the negative stories as much because um, mm-hmm. then I fall into the trap of, you know, perpetuating um, the big stories about, the death of a station, which does not equate to the death of oh, right. college radio. If
1: it bleeds, it leads. Right? That's sort of the the mantra of 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 the journalism industry, such as it is. But just because it's bleeding doesn't mean it really is the most yeah. important story. You know,
0: sometimes I I'm just going to project onto these uh, paper reporters. Uh, there's an axe hanging over their heads, and so when they <laughs> won't won't they see the axe hanging over a radio station job uh, in in sort of a similar over dramatic light. But we are talking about giant legacy college radio stations that have been around for generations and then uh, we've lost them.
2: Yeah. And in fact, as I was looking over the stories that I've covered from 2017, there were two notable examples. And it's interesting. It's a subset of college radio. There aren't many of these left, but commercially licensed college radio stations. So college radio stations that inhabit a spot on the commercial dial and can air commercials. We lost two of those stations this year that decided to sell their licenses. And these were stations that were run by students and alumni. So decisions were made by those groups. They weren't made by these decisions in these particular cases weren't made by administrators so i'm talking about wuva which is w u v a at loosely affiliated with university of virginia sold its commercial radio license and wbru loosely affiliated with brown university sold its commercial radio license and both have been on the air for decades And, you know, renowned for different things, WUVA was most recently airing country music programming and WBRU was known for alternative music programming. And both have opted to have online only operations that are focused on what the students at their stations are more interested in doing. So, I think that is an important story of 2017 even though commercial college radio stations are a really tiny slice of the universe of college radio. And
1: University of Virginia still has a student run station and a community radio station operating there, correct?
2: Yeah, and and UVA Really didn't have much interaction with those two stations. It was very interesting to me. I, I visited in March and I saw all three radio stations. So WTJU is sort of a community slash college station on campus. And then since that station had a smaller smaller number of students involved, they ended up applying for a low power FM that is student oriented. So they have a new LPFM there as well. So a rich radio experience can be had. And then at Brown, actually, there was a student, Brown Student Radio was another station in addition to WBRU. And that's been online only for a while after they had had some opportunities to broadcast over terrestrial radio through agreements with other organizations. But in recent years, they've been online only, and they applied for a low-power FM license, which they received, and they ended up changing their call letters for this. I believe it's still yet to be on the air. They have a construction permit, but the new call letters are WBRU LP. (laughs) So (laughs) there's some indication that some former WBRU shows might even end up on this low power FM that is also loosely affiliated with Brown. And that
1: might be more sustainable in part because they're just simply less expensive to operate a low-power FM than a full-power commercial station. I mean, this is the interesting thing that we see stations going on the air and that I need to go do the math, but I think we're seeing a net gain. I mean, I know in community radio, in non-commercial radio, 2017 is another year of net gain. There are more stations on the air at the end of 2017 than the previous year and any year before. We simply have more community-oriented radio
0: in the United States More airtime, more possible airtime for humans, but how many, uh, what's the balance of listening? But we don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry to, to, to pose such an <laughs> We simply don't question. know. These are
1: not stations that subscribe to ratings, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, because they don't work in the commercial sphere, there's not a lot it's of like, benefit. The, the stations are getting smaller and there are more of them. Yeah, I think and you, have, in you measure it more by impact and each station measures its impact by how, not just who, how many people are listening. I mean, that's only one measure, but what, what do people do when they listen? Yeah. How do they respond? How do they integrate with their community? How do they integrate with the station? You know, and I think that that's where mm-hmm. low power FM has this great strength because it has a smaller footprint. It hits fewer people. It also means, though, that you're you're closer to. Uh, The organizations, local businesses and the folks who are like within a mile or two radius and talking with low power FM people around uh, the country. What I'm hearing is, yes, they're definitely taking up that call and, you know, they're getting out on foot and going to the business that's down the street to say, well, you know, we want to introduce ourselves. We are a new radio station. How can we work together? Yeah. You neighborhood know, radio. It, it, exactly, in, in a way. And we, we just will have some tape uh, later on in the show. Uh, not this one, but later on on the podcast. We were at the launch of a station in Ballard, a neighborhood yeah. in Seattle. And it, it really is neighborhood radio, though it's well situated up a hill. So it also beams all the way down into downtown Seattle. But they're really thinking of themselves as neighborhood radio.
0: And that Ballard radio station that we uh, celebrated going on the air. Uh, it's made me dangerous because it's given me a, a fact that might be uh, fuzzy. So I'm going to, but it's a very 2017 thing and I want to bring it up now, Paul. Low power FM, this movement, this wave of new uh, smaller radio stations that are coming on the air now, that's a wave that is crested and is slowly receding. The, the window was. The
1: window was in 2013. That's when people had an opportunity to apply for these stations. And right now, the way radio licensing works in the United States is that there are windows, windows when you can apply for a variety of different sorts of radio stations.
0: And 2013 was the window for applying so, for low power FM. In, in this spirit of looking back at the year and making grandiose statements, 2017 is sort of the beginning of the end or the end of the end. Of low power FM stations, new ones it's, coming on the air.
1: Yeah, it's it's basically you know you will have a few more in twenty eighteen okay, who a few maybe left.
3: yeah whose license uh, we may have a lot more than a few more actually. Oh, Thank you, Matthew. I mean, have, have have they all really gone on the air? It seems to me that a lot of them have got still gotten construction permits, but they're still struggling to get on the air. Uh, the vast majority so have gone that. on the air.
1: The vast majority have gone on the air or construction permits have, have expired at this point. So, I mean, you, there are stations who have still uh, got extensions or who or were, you know, some construction permits only got given out within uh, the last year or so. And so those stations are still going on the air. But by and large, in terms of numbers, they're very few. Jennifer.
2: Uh, it, yeah, in San Francisco, a couple a couple of the LPFMs are going on the air in January. So okay. I know at least in this market, we have a few that are about to go on the air. A friend of mine is starting an LPFM in Napa, and and I know they were testing out doing signal testing this week.
1: New radio. So many of the I know, stations. Exciting. Many of these stations are actually in big urban areas. These last stations to go on the air because. One of the things that nobody predicted at the beginning of this is that the permitting process in cities like Chicago or San Francisco for putting up antennas was going to be as difficult as it was going to be. Uh, We talked with Sean Campbell from Chicago Independent Radio Project a couple of episodes ago. We'll put it in our show notes. Yes. And uh, she mentioned how that process in Chicago, getting their low power FM community station on the air uh, really lengthened uh, how long it took them to finally build. And so a lot of times that this extending it out isn't the result of the inability to raise funds, isn't necessarily the the result of the inability to build the station. It's It's because it's urban politics and the fact that often in big cities, the wheels
0: grind. Very, very slowly. I also love to mention about uh, low power FM because I learned this from the Radio Survivor podcast, the work that we do here. That uh, all of this action in twenty, uh, in the twenty teens, and uh, also in two thousand three, when one of the other windows for low power FM opened, all of it um, was pushed into motion in the nineties. Yeah, by by activists and action uh, movement building, and I just find that. Uh, so important and so fascinating that that work that was begun uh, 20 years ago is is bearing fruit for the future. Now, such an important lesson about about media and and how it's built.
1: And I want to make one last point about, you know, this cycle of stations coming on the air and stations going off the air, because often with regard to both low power FM and college radio, there's some critics who say, you know, who want to undermine these two services, who say, well, look, you know, these college stations are going away. Clearly, that must mean that they really aren't that important. low power FMs aren't sustainable because, you know, some fail. And, and, And I think to myself, well, what percentage of small businesses fail? And does that mean that we don't have a small business association or small business uh, administration, right, to, to help put small business? And, and, and it, last I've looked, I mean, the number is astounding. It's something like 70 percent of small businesses fail within a, a year or 18 months. And if you look at like some spectrum of small businesses like restaurants, they fail at an even more astonishing rate. And why should we not expect that to happen in radio? And in fact, radio is far more stable than most small businesses. And commercial radio isn't stable either. How many times has your favorite station changed format, right? How many times have you heard a station one day was classic rock, the next day it's sports. These things change constantly. The only reason you don't see commercial radio stations go off the air is because there's a limited number of them and they're allowed to sell licenses. If there couldn't be a market in licenses, then they would go off the air. They would go away. And low-power FM, it's important to point out, there is no market in licenses. You can't sell a low-power FM license, and it's incredibly difficult to transfer one. So if one... If an organization can't make a go of it, then that license probably goes away. It's kind of built into the system for better or worse. And it was built in so that there really couldn't be a market. And so you couldn't like invest in a low power FM license and expect to sell it for millions of dollars later. So it would stay community radio would stay non-commercial and low to the ground. But it, it has these different sorts of outcomes. You're listening to Radio Survivor. The sound of strong communities. And we're looking back at 2017, the year in radio, the year in community media, the year in college radio, the year in podcasting, and maybe even public access TV. And Online with us from San Francisco, California, we have Jennifer Waits, who uh, covers college radio for us. And we have Matthew Lessar, who is one of the co-founders of Radio Survivor, along with myself, Paul Reismandel, and Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. And Jennifer. And Matthew, one of the things that you've been studying quite a bit lately... And this is part of your role as a uh, teaching history at the University of California, Santa Cruz is conspiracy theory. And I understand, uh, Matthew, that it's a very popular class that you're teaching <laughs> there at, at Santa Cruz. Probably just
3: love it. St- well, I, and I can understand. I, it's, it's, tra- it's transformed my reputation.
2: <laughs> Every week
3: someone comes up to me and says to, to me now, Matthew, I saw something really weird and creepy on the Internet, and I immediately thought of you. Um, <laughs> It's very flattering. Um, I, I want to um, before you get into that. I want to uh, make a promo for something that I'm going to put up on Radio Survivor. Okay. Over the summer, I went to Turkey. My wife and I went to Turkey. And we went to Istanbul, and I interviewed um, several people who are the um, progenitors and operators of a um, listener-supported public radio station in Istanbul called Achik Radio or Open Radio. Mm. And um, I have a long. Uh, YouTube, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, as we speak, YouTube is receiving a lengthy um, um, interview that, that we did with those people. And Achik Radio is an open, it means open radio. Wow. It says that it's open to the vibrations of the universe and it plays that Beach Boy song, Good Vibrations, a whole lot uh, <laughs> during the day. And um, at least one person who was very active in music programming at KPFA in Berkeley is now very active at Oshik Radio. And so watch for that. Oh, neat.
0: And that's that's very exciting and a little bit, um, it's a little too exciting because we know that the government in Turkey has been cracking down on independent media.
3: Yeah, Turkey is in a very polarized place right now. And um, the interview... Basically, uh, talks about the origins of the radio station, which emerged in the nineteen nineties, and which is a very popular radio station and has a lot of public participation in Istanbul. And we visited the station, so watch for that. That's great, um, and it's that's a music station. Mostly, um, it's it's a music talk station. Okay. So it's like a community radio station
1: in the United States. Yeah. yeah, it's
3: like a community radio station in the United States. That's exactly right, and it and it deals a lot. The big concerns of its, in terms of talk, global warming is a really important thing. Human rights is a really important um, issue there. Um, one of the people who, probably the person who really founded it, is a human rights lawyer. And so um, this is an interview with him and with um, another programmer. And so um, watch that on on the um, Radio Survivor. I
1: think it'll be out by the time uh, this particular episode airs. So go to our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, and you will find a link to that video. Maybe we'll just embed it right in the
0: show notes so you can watch it right on screen. I'm glad you brought that up, Matthew, just so that we can take this uh, moment to plug the fact that Radio Survivor, uh, while we focus mostly on uh, North America, United States, Radio. Uh, we love world community radio. We love uh, podcasts from around the world, and we love world community media in all its forms. Absolutely, we've talked to folks uh, who have done work in places
1: like Argentina, uh, places like Brazil, and other places in Latin America. We're always and, and as well as Africa, and we're always interested in learning more about how radio supports
0: communities everywhere. Yeah. There's a human. Matthew, being. find out more about India for us, okay? <laughs> we want to know more um, about India.
3: Well, what's in I mean, what the interesting thing about India is is that, you know, I mean, everybody was focused. remember, everybody was focused on Norway and it's getting rid right. of FM radio. And this is the beginning of F the end of FM radio. That's it. It's gone. Tuesday, last day for FM radio around the world. Look at Norway. And the reality is that India is vastly expanding its FM radio licenses. And maybe India might be slightly more significant in terms of the hit, you know, the world given that you know norway has what five million people and um uh, india has 1.25 billion people yeah uh, that's a lot more radio stations and listeners it's just just a slightly larger population than norway so you know uh fm not only is fm not dead but in in the so-called third world as it used to be called back in my salad days it's expanding all over the world especially in india and also in africa you know i want to make sorry go ahead jennifer
2: Oh, and I read about new college radio stations in India all the time, just as an addendum to that.
3: Yes, and that's interesting because the Indian government really encourages community radio stations to come out of colleges huh. because they are very suspicious of community radio stations. There's a whole lot of security requirements if you you have to submit not only the names of your 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 board but the names of the parents of the board of your board members. You know, you have to like you have to give them all this um, kind of information um, in India because there's a you know, there's a lot of worry at the same time in some areas of India, especially the um, southeast uh, police departments are now calling on um, their communities to set up community radio stations to counter Maoist rebels. Hmm. Yes, community radio will stop Maoism. In um, in various parts of India. So there's this is kind of bipolar attitude towards community radio in India that I wish that I'd spent more time, um, have, have had more time to um, to, to explore Yeah, in but 2018,
0: conspira- Matthew, in 2018 in
3: 2018. But conspiracy theories, you want to <laughs> you want to you want to talk about conspiracy Well, theories.
1: You know, my question for you, Matthew, here is that, you know, because of their very open nature. Community radio has a wide variety of voices and opinions, often opinions and and, and ideas that are marginalized in the mainstream culture, although conspiracy theory seems to be less marginalized all the time. But that's maybe a a subject for an entirely different conversation. Or this one. But for a very long time, you
3: know, community radio has been a home for what maybe a lot of people would call conspiracy theory. Well, you know, I used to be really concerned and upset about this. This was a really big issue for me especially when i was more involved in trying to forge the future of kpfa in berkeley america's first listener supported radio station this is back in the 1990s and early 2000s i was very concerned about the direction that pacifica radio was going to go given that it had democratized itself and there was a lot of conspiracy stuff that was on Pacifica radio, and I thought that a lot of it was nonsense, um, especially the 9 11 truth stuff, but also a whole lot of other content. And I was very involved in trying to um, get people to be more aware of that you just can't hand over the microphone yeah. to every single, to use an old phrase, Tom, Dick, and Harry who has some opinion about what really happened um, at the World Trade Center. But The reality is, is that now conspiracy theories have so permeated American media and not only American media, but global media that move over community radio stations. Mm -hmm. This is a problem that is now endemic to the entire media uh, sphere. You know, you have on the left and the right. People who basically specialize in speculating about various, uh, you know, possible conspiracies and, you know, and 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 sort of exaggerating real conspiracies um, on an hourly basis so that this is hardly a problem that is unique to um, community radio and low power FM radio anymore. And I'm personally speaking sort of overwhelmed by it. The best I feel that I can do is that I have this course. Um, That I teach at UC Santa Cruz, in which I really go through the history of famous conspiracy theories, going back to the protocols of the elders of Zion and that Woodrow Wilson was basically paid off by the banking industry to start World War One. And that that FDR, you know, secretly didn't tell Pearl Harbor about a Japanese attack that he could get the United States involved in World War Two and that the CIA, the Teamsters. Fidel Castro, the Soviet Union, Lyndon Johnson, and about 180 other people killed John Kennedy and um, et cetera, et cetera. And just encouraging students to think more critically and more rigorously about these things. That's the best I can do. But as far as community radio stations are concerned, I think that they are going to continue to be very, very um, vulnerable to conspiracy theorists who don't bring a lot of rigor or um, caution to their sure. um, to oh. to their programming, virtually by need by the fact that you know a lot of these stations are just going to need content, and it's re- you know they're not they're not paying anybody um to do anything, and so they're going to you know they're going to need this content, they're going to bring these people in, and they're going to more or less let them do whatever they want to do, but I. Th- hardly think anymore that this is a problem that is unique to community radio. It's a problem now that is endemic in all media and not only media, but in American society in general. I mean Jesus Christ, look who's the president of the United States and what he says on an hourly basis on Twitter. So you know, we're all in this sinkhole together now, folks. Yeah. Matthew uh, community You know, uh, yes.
0: I I just wanted to um whew, reel it in a little because uh now I want to not think about Donald Trump's Twitter account for a moment, uh, which, uh, fuzzies, fuzzies up everything. Doesn't it?
3: Uh, it concentrates the mind. Oh God. To use term. <laughs> you
0: know, and, but, uh, it, it concentrates it on, um, just a pure lack of concentration. So in, we have a world in which, uh, for instance, anti-war opinion, let's say is, uh, f- so far out of the mainstream that it becomes, uh, Almost impossible to talk about, you know, critiques of of uh, America's uh, foreign policy in Afghanistan for the last uh, 17 years without uh, without sounding so vastly different than what ABC or NBC sounds like that. How can it becomes difficult for for the average listener to know the difference between an alternative opinion and a uh, conspiracy that's uh, baseless that hasn't been uh W- well thought through, and so I think that's where all, um, why community media and now the internet is such a fertile place for these uh, theories and ideas is because um, they've been banished from the mainstream.
3: You know, one of the things that's really um, fun, and I'm I'm actually going to say something on behalf of conspiracy theories at this time. <laughs> um, one of the things that I'm really enjoying is that there's a lot of and I can't think of an example right now, but if you could think of an example, I, there's a lot of podcasts now mm-hmm. that do kind of faux conspiracy theories. That is to say what they do is that they come up with um yeah. just just sort of obviously tongue-in-cheek conspiracy theories that go on and on and on about, you know, why this person was killed or why that movie star was killed Um, that are very amusing and that are a lot of fun. And the many of them are kind of satires right. on the extent to which we have become a conspiracy theory culture all i can say to community radio stations that want to point out that the united states is an empire which is something that people don't seem to want to talk about very often but it is a reality we live in a great big empire called the united states of america um, that um, thinks in imperial terms, although its population, unlike the Roman Empire and the British Empire, don't really identify with the empire in any kind of um, way. That's an interesting dynamic of the American empire. But we live in an empire and that empire has, um, you know, an, an enormous presence all around the world. And you don't have to you don't have to make up a conspiracy. <laughs> you don't have to make stuff up. You don't have to make up a conspiracy to point out to people that we live in an empire. We don't you don't have to you know, you don't have to say that Dick Cheney blew up the World Trade Center um, in order to point out that the United States is an empire. You can just say that and talk about that without thinking in completely bogus conspiracy terms. And I think that a lot of that conspiracy theorizing is frust- is, an, is frustration, especially on community radio at how much people don't pay attention to the fact that the United States is an empire and um, and and this expectation that if you come up with this outlandish, um, bizarre conspiracy theory, this will bring people in and then you can talk about this issue. You don't have to make stuff up um, in order to talk about the fact that the United States is an empire.
1: You know, I think that, you know, community radio, uh, podcasting, college radio, all have a role to play in sort of bringing about uh media literacy and yeah. helping to foster that. You know, and I think that they're you know, I, I think of examples like the show Counterspin, which is put out by Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, which works very hard to uncover what's behind the news and to and to make it very fact-based. I mean, it's some, you know, fairness and accuracy in reporting has been around a long time and, and counterspin has been a, a mainstay of community radio stations for a long time. But I also think you know, that uh, someone who's just simply doing show on a on a radio station or a podcast can turn to places like uh, more mainstream places, even like the Columbia Journalism Review and, and, and many new uh, organizations that have come come together in the last 10 years uh, that are doing investigative reporting, fact checking and use these as sources. Right. And, and, and what's wonderful in a, in a multimedia environment is that you don't have to just do it on a radio you can put your show notes online you can put your references online it doesn't have to be uh, a fully annotated kind of uh, dissertation you could you can share your sources and and work towards trying to compare things and instead of coming to conclusions problematize the facts if that makes any sense to say look this is we know this we know this we know this or people who argue this or people who argue this let's let's think about it rather than you know what well, we're going to follow a garden path of 15 facts and tie them together in a way that that each each knot requires a twist of logic and requires a you know a 3% likelihood of happening till we've created a connection right between Dick Cheney and and Pearl Harbor.
3: You know, I couldn't agree with you more and I think that a lot of community radio programmers I would just advise them that you don't have to fix everything on your one-hour thirty-minute <laughs> show. You don't have to. It's you know. It's like they think of it as like television shows almost. You know, like you know, uh, you know. It's like you know, like a crime show. You you know, you have to fix everything in in one hour. You don't have to fix everything in one hour. You can actually leave things open-ended. Just to ask questions and say we're not sure what the answers are at this time. You don't have to resolve everything. And I think that to some degree, conspiracy theory talk is about. Presenting stuff on the radio yeah. in a way in which you kind of make this these grandiose claims and fix them in mm. in about 30 minutes. So it wraps up. Or, it's just like the know, end of it, Law it, and Order, you know, bedtime, in, bedtime stories in, for stressed out adults. In conclude, you know, in conclusion, you know, um, the CIA is in is responsible for you know the entire world drug trade you know and we've just just demonstrated that to you here uh, on our show in the last 15 minutes you don't have to do that by the way if you want to do conspiracy shows there are a whole lot of real actual conspiracies that you know they that you can do in which they are actually documented i mean for example you could do a show and i don't know if maybe somebody does do a show there's a wonderful thing called the national security archive which just about every week releases new documents about All the very bad things that the um, United States national security state has done over the decades. And you could do a show every week just about what new is appearing on the national security archives, which is all very documented stuff, you know, in which basically the United States government acknowledges. That it, you know, overthrew the government of Iran, and it overthrew the government of Guatemala in the 1950s. Um, you know, was involved in in a whole lot of really questionable experimentation in the 1960s and the 1970s with people and institutions. This stuff is all documented. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you want to do a conspiracy show, you can actually do a. You can actually do shows based on, you know, real documented stuff rather than speculation.
1: You know, I've been really uplifted uh, this year in a way because I've seen in podcasting a lot of new shows that are doing what one might call revisionist history, but but very, very well researched revisionist history. Uh, One show. I, I it really blew me away. I'm still processing it as I as I and I go back and re listen to episodes. Is one uh, the the series is called "Seen on Radio" and it's mm. put out by the Duke Center for Documentary Studies, and they did a series uh, this year called "Seeing Whiteness," and it is an investigation of whiteness in American history. And it is it goes back to show how sort of the, the concept of whiteness was created, established, reinforced and promulgated often violently uh, and often through the rule of, of law. Uh, and it's it's sort of devastating. And I recommend it for every person who considers him or herself white should listen to this. But it it is it, an amazing series. And then uh, Gimlet, which is a uh, network out of Brooklyn started by Alex Bloomberg, formerly of, of Planet Money and This American Life, has a series ongoing right now called Uncivil, which is a deconstruction of the Civil War. Mm. Again, revisionist history, fact-based. Historical base, but by going in as historians do periodically and in looking at it with a new lens from a different perspective, and and often re-examining perceived truths or perceived common knowledge about these things, and in uncivil, of course, again takes takes race as as a, as a lens for examining the Civil War, and and it's I'm really appreciate seeing these things happen, and and what's important to point out is on the one hand, seen on radio, of course, is a nonprofit enterprise. Prize coming from uh, the Duke Center for Documentary Studies. Uncivil is a commercial podcast. This is something that is being supported by actual sponsors in the podcasting sphere. And to know that some of this might be really difficult, uh, trenchant kind of analysis can possibly be sponsored both by listeners themselves and by, uh, and by businesses is good. And I think it's an interesting development, a positive development in, in 2017 we see uh, in podcasting. And I think we're seeing the sort of subsidiary effects in uh, public radio, community radio, and, and, and in other media. And this is Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reismandel, and uh, we're reviewing 2017. We are the Sound of Strong Communities. With me is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. My frequent co-host. I'm his frequent co-host. And our other frequent co-host <laughs> is Jennifer Waits, joining us from San Francisco, and Matthew Lassar also joining us from San Francisco. And anything we're talking about, uh, we'll have show notes. It'll probably be a pretty lengthy ones at our website, radiosurvivor.com podcast. We're talking about a lot of stuff here. We'd yeah.
0: love to know what you think. What have you? Yeah, it's been an exciting year, to say the least. Tell us what uh, excited you about community media this year. We really would love to hear your favorite shows, your favorite listening experiences, something you rediscovered, or uh, uh, something you you remember you used to enjoy that you uh, have found again in Radio Land. Tell us about it.
1: Let's uh, do something
0: fun. Why don't, why don't we ask people to tweet at us? Okay. Their favorite.
1: Take a picture or, or, or one line and just hashtag it Community Media 2017. If
0: Twitter is still around.
1: In if Twitter is still around, if net neutrality oh, that's, hasn't yeah, killed. Oh, yeah, 2017, we haven't talked about it uh, Yeah, well, there's so, there's so many things that are that are, that are kind of uh, there, limitally. Uh, but tweet at us. What, what was the best thing you thought about community media? Podcasting, radio, public access TV, or some other form of community media that that were that we're unfortunately leaving out? Hashtag it, yeah. uh, community media 2017. Yes, we have a lot of things that have happened at the FCC or are happening right. at the FCC. Can I FCC.
0: can I bring that in and and try to to propose the topic that we that'll take us home on this episode? Go for and, it. So I was thinking about this in 2017, and I wanted to contrast the the blossoming of the low power FM community radio movement with the uh, devastating news uh, uncertainty around a free and opened internet. Now we know if, if you listen to Radio Survivor that the net neutrality uh, is dead and yet net neutrality lives because uh, things are much more complicated than one tweet. You can't summarize what's going to happen to the free and open internet in 280 characters. But we do know that, um, that if we're going to pick a direction that we're heading in, we're heading in a direction where the internet um, is less open and free, where, where content is possibly harder to access, especially, I'm assuming, streaming video Content is going to sort of get closed down upon. Well, we don't know what's going to we happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We know what, we what the
1: risks are. I and mean, that's so much of what it is. So, yes, in December, the FCC voted to end the open Internet rules, which were put in place in 2015, which established that an Internet service provider may not
0: throttle, which means sort of slow down traffic or discriminate traffic. So we don't know what the future will hold with online media, but we can uh, presume a less open view. That's right. So now... And Comcast, I, Verizon, your ISP is
1: less constrained in its ability to throttle what they deliver you or to uh, block it altogether. And the reason why we were concerned about that is that in 2017, Comcast looks a lot different than they did in 2000. Yeah. It's a media conglomerate, right? They own NBC Universal, they
0: create their own content. Yeah, now. AT&T owns HBO, and there's, you know, oh my gosh. It just goes on and on. The, the, so the, there's a, these, this, these this cable kind of companies and these Internet companies now own content. And then they have horizontal and vertical integration. So I wanted to contrast that with the with the current openness of the community media landscape and how we do know that in the future, these airwaves aren't going to be as constrained.
2: Well, and, uh, you know, with low power FM, anti consolidation was built into its very nature. So you can't own multiple LPFM licenses unless some municipal municipalities can have multiple licenses independent by design by design and and so that's in direct contrast to what we've seen with radio which has become increasingly consolidated on the commercial dial and and will probably become even more so so I, i think you're right we have this direct contrast with all of these independent low power stations starting up and, and probably, you know, the timing is perfect. I mean, they're, they're so needed. These small voices are greatly needed at this point in our history.
1: Yeah. And, and as well, uh, you know, it, it's important to point that a Comcast can't own a low power FM station as well, that they are explicitly non-commercial. and they must be owned by nonprofits. Matthew.
3: Well, uh, this is going to go to the courts, right? Yeah,
1: it, I mean, in terms of net neutrality, yes, it is going it's to go the to, courts. It's,
3: it's going to the courts, and one and, and I think that the that the that the forces that support net neutrality have a very strong case, um, in the courts in the sense that they're going to go, they're going to look back at, they're going to refer to that um law that you know is a rather boring law. It the, the title of it is rather boring. The Administrative Procedures Act of 1946, which governs how government agencies um operate, and they're going to say, you know, the FCC. Passed net neutrality just just a moment ago, historically speaking, um, and now it's overturned it in mere seconds, historically speaking, and this is in violation of the Administrative Procedures Act, in which um, a government agency has to has to have a clear explanation of why it's overturning a procedure that it's that it's enacted. I mean, I think that the I think that the groups that are they're going to sue sue the FCC over this. Um, have a rather strong suit here, and I think that they certainly have a have a have a chance of a temporary stay of the FCC's uh, the determination. I also think that if the Democratic Party takes back the house, takes back the House and the Senate, it's very it, it's going to become very. There's going to be a very very strong outcry that Congress has to act on this. That yeah. Congress has to basically say at long last the federal communications commission must classify uh, the internet as telecommunication service um, once and for all and not just allow not and 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 make that legislation so that it's not just a call that the fcc is making it's basically embedded in the federal code it is a utility so, basically it's it's, it's yeah. a utility which
0: is why um, we're in this situation in the first in place the, is that congress the, hasn't the, acted what uh, since the internet has uh, they dominated american life congress has not acted on it
3: i am hoping that the enormous wave of of political revulsion yeah against the trump administration um has a variety of benefits and one, of those po- um, one of those possibilities is finally federal legislation that encodes um, net neutrality into the federal laws of the land yeah i
1: have a conspiracy theory may i share it You, of all people, get to share your conspiracy theories, Paul. I keep mine to myself. I I, I think that uh, perhaps... And I, I, I'm not going to say I believe this wholesale, but I'll, I'll proffer it. You know, so Ajit Pai, he is the chairman of the Federal of the Communications Commission. And he is behaved like no FCC chairman before in his uh, willingness to be crazily outspoken, making funny videos, criticizing his critics and criticizing uh, supporters of uh, network neutrality. And he rammed through this this change to undo network neutrality in a way that i don't think We even saw under under under, uh, Michael Powell, who who we who often was who was the chairman under George W. Bush in his first administration, and thought to be somewhat more forceful and often uh, reckless. the corporate than previous uh, FCC chairman, and he seems quite staid and and thoughtful and slow by comparison. We might argue that Ajit Pai has become Trumpian in his approach to regulatory policy. And I wonder if he didn't push this through, not expecting that it would actually stay, not expecting that it would pass judicial scrutiny, but just simply so he could say, look, we promised to do this and we did it. And then he's going to go back to Kansas and run for the Senate. (laughs) He's going to go back with his conservative bona fides. And, right. and that, that this Time is that, that this is not, uh, you know, meant to be long lasting uh, telecommunications policy. It is his conservative bona fide so he can run for office. And barring that, he can go retire into well, a cushy corporate we're, position. We're back just gonna start Verizon. I, I
3: hate to break. T- I hate to break <laughs> it to you, Paul, but that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a political <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> I, I, um, mean, I mean, I mean, you're going to have to do a lot better than that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't. A conspiracy theory. Thank you, Matthew, for uh, for elevating my argument. I, I appreciate I
0: it. I wouldn't relax at this moment and just assume that because it's stupid, they lost. No, I, I'm not saying that... <laughs> like, that, that uh, we, but, we might have a less free and open internet <laughs> because stupid is the new... Is the new American? Well, we'll policy. see
1: what the First Circuit Court of Appeals and
0: possibly the Third Circuit Court of Appeals have to say about if this. The rule of law still exists in 2018. We'll see, what, we'll happens. see what, what happens. But if the rule of law is weakened and American institutions continue to deteriorate, I don't think uh, corporate control of the internet is the um, the most wild conspiracy uh, that I'll speak into this microphone. Yeah, for 2018. What,
1: and one last point, as as it regards community radio, low power FM, independent podcasting, independent internet radio, is that they do hang in the balance with network neutrality. More and more stations, and of course, podcasting and internet, utterly rely upon the internet to distribute. Yeah, and it has been this ease of reach, this unprecedented human history ability to send an audio signal to thousands or millions of people around the world at relatively low cost, right, compared to what it would have cost to operate a shortwave station, which was previously the only way you could have had that kind of worldwide reach. I mean, it's an amazing freedom. It relies on the Internet. And uh, should this tearing down of network neutrality persist, if it is somehow upheld by the courts or maintained in some way by the courts, I think there are real there will be real consequences for uh, all of this flowering of independent audio online because a company like Comcast, a company like Verizon uh, will want to prefer its own. Uh, content or content that it has deals with iHeartRadio is now on the front page of Xfinity. Xfinity, which is like the the home entertainment system that people who have Comcast use. It, it, it includes internet, it includes hmm. video, it includes audio. And now on your homepage is iHeartRadio. Which and was so formerly
0: Clear Channel. Which was for formerly Clear Channel. At at
1: and iHeart is making huge investments in podcasting right now. They really want to become a dominant force in podcasting. Most of it right now is just replays of things like the Elvis Duran show, morning shows and things like that but but they want to make that play at the same time it's a precarious company that is running out of uh, that's running out of money. And so Jennifer.
2: Oh, and I I don't know if people realize but college radio stations a select number of college radio stations have also been courted by iHeart. Mm-hmm. So in the iHeart platform there is a menu of college radio stations who have specific deals with iHeart to have their content on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, and which on the one hand seems like a good thing, but you always wonder uh, the hand that giveth, what will it taketh away? So, speaking of independent podcasting, it's still here. We're still doing it, and and here at Radio Survivor, we we try to do it in addition to our show. Uh, Matthew, uh, this year you debuted your own uh, music podcast, Hybrid Highbrow. Tell us about it.
3: You know, I should also point out that some people are saying it's not really a podcast. Oh, uh, can we just
0: call it radio and be done with it? We're going to go no. back online radio show. What that's is, free for anyone? What to is more to. 2016 than to argue whether it's podcasting it's or radio
3: and, it, and I did three episodes and it basically explores the. Um. The connections between classical music and other kinds of music particularly jazz and world music and other and and various um, forms and um, then and I did a lot of that stuff over the summer and then of course the um, academic quarter began and that was the end of that for me but now I'm going to start to work on episode number four How which great. is about bar talk and jazz and rock and roll
0: Matthew can you make these episodes longer this is just a personal request I just think you can really? play yeah I love the I don't think they need to be 10 minutes like they could be uh, they can be an Hour. That's you, can really. you can play more music.
3: You can play more music. So I can play more music on Mixcloud, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the I can joy of all Mixcloud. The mu- I, can, I can play all the music I want on Mixcloud, and I can talk all the, about all the music I want on Mixcloud. I'm going to do that because there is jazz musicians and rock musicians love bella Bartok. They think he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. They make YouTubes of, ro- of, of rock versions of Bartok songs with their, with like Bella Bartok's picture as like a punk rock guy and things like that. Um, and they just think it's wonderful. And, I, um, and I'm trying to, you know, encourage people to think about classical music in much broader terms. One of the things that's sort of disappointing to me is that when you look at the great low power FM universe, not a lot of classical music out there, not a lot of classical low power FM radio stations, not even a lot of classical shows, you know, I mean, traditionally, you know, most community radio stations have a classical show or to, you know, sort of, you know, segregated on Sunday morning and things like that. And my friend Sherry Gendelman does a wonderful show on KPFA with her friends on, on, on it's called Piano on Sunday mornings. But I'm trying to encourage people to think about classical music in much more broad terms and its connections with other kinds of musics in the hopes of maybe um a rekindling i you know interest in classical music there are two radio stations by the way that do online versions of classical music that are very very wonderful um one of them is king fm in seattle and the other one is wqxr in new york city and um they both have wqxr has its q2 channel which is sort of an adventurous version of classical music and um King FM has second inversion. I've written about that mm-hmm. on the pages of Radio Survivor. I actually listened to second inversion while driving down the one freeway, which gets me from San Francisco to Santa Cruz along the beach. And it was it was quite wonderful. So I'm still trying to in my um non-existent free time on um, Pursue, that podcast. And as per Eric's um, request, I'm going to make it much, much longer. <laughs> Thank l- you. The, I, next, the next episode, much, much longer.
0: I apologize to the fans of brief podcasts. Uh, Matthew, I learned from you. I learned from listening to you. What you taught me was that there was an attempt at one point by elites to to fix America by making classical music, by by putting classical music on the radio and, and teaching guys, people to f- be smart. If-
3: if you three and the rest of me and the rest of the people listening to this show um, want to read a wonderful book, I suggest you read the um, late great historian Lawrence Levine's book highbrow lowbrow the origins of cultural hierarchy in america which really sort of outlines how this all happened in the late 19th century in the victorian era and turned classical music into this kind of pure self-enclosed medium which had nothing to do with folk music had nothing to do with popular music it became just sort of this pure high kind of thing and i um check that out and i think you'll get where i'm going with this stuff
1: Well, that's 2017. And already, as this show goes to air, it's 2018. We're not going to talk about 2018 because it hasn't happened yet. We're going to talk about 2018 as it happens here on Radio Survivor. So I encourage folks to tune back in. Uh, We are available as a podcast. Uh, We are on iTunes. We are on TuneIn. We are on Stitcher. We are on Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you can find our show, make it your resolution for 2018 to subscribe and leave us a, a, a nice review so we can help other people learn about Radio Survivor. We're also on radio stations all around the country. You can learn more at radiosurvivor.com. If you have any comments, please send them to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. This is a listener and Reader Supported Enterprise. Uh, we'd love it if you could help us out and help us keep surviving along with radio. Go to radiosurvivor.com to learn how. Jennifer Waits, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you were to have some good words for 2018.
2: Oh, well, I can't wait. I can't wait to see more radio stations. That's something we didn't talk about. But, you know, I'm the intrepid traveler. So up to more than 140 radio stations. So you mean visits, see so. those like, with your see. own yes. <laughs> eyes
0: on the ground with your own hands and feet. Some of them yeah. some of them new and some of them just new to you.
2: Yeah, including in the very beginning of the year, I'm excited to attend, you know, some low power FM launches. So oh, I'm I'm excited. Happy New Year!
1: And you'll share some of that tape with us, I hope, and 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 the Radio Survivor listeners. Of course, Matthew Lassar, any great words for 2018? Anything you're looking forward to, or or any any hopeful, anything
0: hopeful in your mind for
3: 2018?
0: Vote, <laughs> vote, vote. Uh, thank you, Matthew. I'm Eric Klein. I'm excited in 2018 about the the genre, the like, the unfolding of genre in podcasting and then how that's going to influence radio i just think we're about to hear more audio entertainment in that'll sound so rich and so amazing i i'm gonna say that i feel like in 2018 we're gonna have a breakthrough the same way that uh hg wells or uh orson wells and hg wells created this breakthrough when they when uh war of the worlds aired. I feel like the podcasting war of the worlds is coming that's just going to blow people's minds and I'm very excited to be to be listening. In the future,
1: I'm excited for more young people being involved yeah. in in radio and podcasting, community media. Jennifer, you alluded to it way at the beginning of the show. That's correct. How you, you said that how you know college students have been telling you that they've been getting into podcasting, and they're they're excited about audio media, and it's bringing them to their college stations, whether they're online or whether they're uh, on the air. And I'm seeing the same thing. Um, I'm hearing the same thing uh, We'll be talking about it more in, in an upcoming episode Eric and I went to PodCon in Seattle PodCon Blew my mind PodCon. And we blew our mind All the young people Who are way into radio drama Who were there In, in huge numbers Not the folks we expected to meet at a podcasting conference. It was exhilarating to see all this positive energy from young folks who are who are in high school or in college or fresh out of college pouring their hearts and minds into community media, into audio media. It was absolutely amazing. And that yeah. makes me sanguine about 2018. One last thought, Jennifer.
2: Well, and even younger, my, my middle school brand new middle school age daughter mm-hmm. just had a podcast assignment at school
1: wow so. yeah <laughs> i think i am positive about the youth and that's i think where we want to yeah, jump kids into are all right 2018 thank you jennifer and matthew for joining us on this year end year beginning edition of radio survivor thank you eric
0: oh thank you paul this has been a pleasure this year and thank you everyone for listening